0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith Podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. This is episode 28 where we're concluding our three-episode look at the life of Reformer Martin Luther. So if you've listened to all 30 plus minutes of me talking about Martin Luther and you still want more information, I'm going to recommend Reformation 500. I used a lot of sources for these episodes, but uh, found it to be one of the most useful. That's from the folks at the Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. You can check it out at reformation500.csl.edu. It's got a great timeline, plenty of articles, and some great videos as well. At the conclusion of the last episode, Luther had just been excommunicated by Pope Leo X at the beginning of 1521 for refusing to recant and repent of his heretical claims and ideas. Despite immense pressure from the church, Luther kept writing and publishing books and pamphlets. Some of his important early works include On the Papacy, Prelude on the Babylonian Captivity of the Church, and The Freedom of a Christian. Shortly after his excommunication, Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms by Charles V, the new Holy Roman Emperor, to answer for his works. A Diet was a meeting of the leaders of the Holy Roman Empire where they met, discussed, and negotiated the issues of the day. The Diet of Worms in 1521 was not called specifically to discuss the problem of Luther, though it was a foregone conclusion that Luther would play a large role in the discussions. So Rome had already excommunicated him and they were hoping that the emperor would place the imperial interdict on him. The emperor was initially indisposed to allow Luther to appear and defend himself, but Frederick the Wise came to Luther's rescue and convinced him to allow it. Frederick also arranged a guarantee of safe passage for Luther. With that guarantee in hand, Luther agreed to attend the Diet where he expected to receive a fair trial. Nevertheless, Luther knew he was taking his life into his hands. Safe passage had been ignored before, remember Jan Hus, and he was public enemy number one for the Pope. When Luther appeared before the council on April 17th, he was surprised to find a stack of his books on a table in front of the councillors. Much like Jan Hus the century before, Luther was simply asked if the books were his, and given the opportunity to recant. There was no debate, and there was no trial. Luther mumbled a response that he needed more time before he gave an answer, and a day's grace was granted him. The next day, he appeared again, And this time, he confirmed that the books were all of his writing, but he categorized the books into three groups. The first group dealt with morality, and he supposed that even the pope could not object to them. The second group was directed at the papacy and the error that Luther believed it had fallen into. The third group were works in response to his critics. He refused to retract any of them unless he could be shown by scripture where he had been in error. His answer was not accepted and he was pressed for a straight answer. Would he recant? It was at that point that Luther spoke his famous words, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. He may or may not have added, Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Which are actually his most famous words, that he may not have spoken at the time, but they were added to the record in Luther's later recollection of the events. Having said this, Luther expected to be killed. Rome wanted him killed, but remember that Rome was not in the business of carrying out executions itself. When the church wanted someone killed, it handed them over to the secular authorities to do the deed. It boggles the mind that a group of people supposedly dedicated to Christ and his kingdom could be so fully evil, but I digress. The guarantee of safe passage that Frederick had acquired for him allowed Luther to leave the conference, and he headed home. He didn't make it to Wittenberg, however. On the way, he was ambushed by a group of armed brigands and kidnapped and taken to Warburg Castle. Fortunately for Luther, the ambush was arranged by his protector Frederick. Frederick was so worried that people friendly to the church would capture or kill Luther on the road that he took matters into his own hands and set up a fake kidnapping. On May twenty-fifth, 1521, the Edict of Worms was issued. It forbade any from helping Luther and instructed him to be captured and brought to be tried for heresy. It offered a generous reward to any who brought him in, Luther was now fully outlaw, under penalty from both church and state. Luther remained hidden at Warburg Castle for eleven months, from May 4, 1521, to February 29, 1522. In many ways, his time at Warburg was a blessing in disguise. He lived incognito, going by the false name Junker Jorg, and growing out his hair and beard as a disguise. While in the castle, Luther ate like a prince, and he paid the price for it. He suffered from stomach upset and painful constipation. He was basically miserable. But his solitude gave him the time he needed to study and write. His primary accomplishment at Warburg was the translation of the New Testament into German. He completed the translation from Greek in only 11 weeks, and in 1522 it was published. The work was extremely popular and known colloquially as the September Testament, and went a long way towards standardizing the German written language. Luther kept in contact with his friends in Wittenberg, though outside of his small circle, his fate was a mystery. Many assumed he had been abducted by the church or killed by them, and there were Luther sightings all across Europe. He was sort of the 16th century Elvis. He did make one incognito trip to Wittenberg, and he was pleased to find that the Reformation was carrying on, but he was soon troubled by some of the more radical influences that were infiltrating the city. He finally left Warburg for good in the spring of 1522, and he retook his place at the pulpit in Wittenberg. Luther was now at the forefront of a movement, but a movement that was not fully under his control. The Reformation was breaking out seemingly everywhere, and not always in full agreement with Luther and his interpretation of Scripture. But Luther knew that the burgeoning religious movement wasn't about him. He wrote, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept... The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything." Luther continued preaching, teaching, and writing from Wittenberg. It was his home for the rest of his life. In 1525, he married Katharina von Bora, a former nun who had escaped her convent with the aid of Luther. She and several of her religious sisters wrote to Luther asking for help. He obliged by sending a fish merchant to the convent, who secreted the sisters in his covered wagon, amongst the fish barrels, and brought them to Wittenberg. When the families of the escaped nuns refused to take them in, Luther, over a course of two years, found husbands or jobs for all of them except Caterina. Caterina had a number of suitors, but she had determined that she would hold out for Luther. He was unsure if he would or if he even should marry, Catholic clergy did not marry of course, and he feared stirring controversy in his own movement. Eventually, he decided that, quote, his marriage would please his father, rile the Pope, cause the angels to laugh, and the devils to weep. The couple were wed privately on June 13, 1525, and then publicly two weeks later. The couple had six children, of which two died as infants and one as a teenager, and also took in four orphans. Their marriage set the example for Protestant clergy marriages for centuries to come. Luther spent the rest of his life fighting schisms in the Reformation movement and forming what would become the Lutheran Church. In 1529, he wrote the large and small catechisms, which were designed to teach the fundamentals of Lutheranism to the populace. He also composed many hymns, some of which are still sung in churches around the world. The most famous hymn he wrote is A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which has been translated into over 200 languages. By 1534, He, along with some others, had completed the translation of the Old Testament into German. For the first time, literate Germans could read the entire Bible in their own language. In 1539, he published On the Councils and the Church, reaffirming that the Bible is the only authority for the Christian faith. The Christian fathers, tradition, and church councils did not have authority to introduce new things beyond Scripture. Their purpose was to defend the faith only. During all this time, he continued pastoring his own church and teaching at the university. He did his part to train up a new generation of pastors, knowing that if the next generation was not prepared, that all that had been gained would be lost. Martin Luther was not a perfect man. He was given to fits of anger, he was at times anti-Semitic, and he encouraged the burning of synagogues. He even supported the execution of members of the Anabaptist movement as heretics. He did much to encourage the persecution of them. We'll cover some of these subjects in more detail in the upcoming special episode, Luther's Dirty Laundry. As he aged, Luther's health declined. He suffered at various times from constipation, diarrhea, hemorrhoids, dizziness, tinnitus, kidney stones, depression, and heart problems. In January 1546, Luther described himself as old, decrepit, sluggish, inactive, and now one-eyed. He died on February 18, 1546, while on a trip to the town of Mansfeld to help mediate a dispute there. Found in one pocket were the beginnings of another manuscript, but found in another pocket were some notes that he had written to keep himself grounded. No one can understand Virgil in his bucolics unless he has been a herdsman for five years. No one can understand Virgil in his georgics unless he has been a farmer for five years. No one can fully understand Cicero in his letters unless he has spent 25 years in a great commonwealth. Let no one think that he has sufficiently tasted Holy Scripture unless he has governed the churches with the prophets, such as Elijah and Elisha, John the Baptist, Christ, and the Apostles, for a hundred years. Touch not this divine Aeneid. Rather, fall on your knees and worship at its footsteps. We are beggars. That's the truth. And with that, we've finally reached the end of our look at the life of Martin Luther. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned some new things along the way. There's much more about Luther and his life that just didn't fit into these episodes. We barely touched on his friends, though we'll remedy that for some of them by featuring them in the future. And we also didn't get into the disagreements that he had with Zwingli over communion. Ah well, I do have a couple of Luther-centric bonus episodes planned, one called Luther the Printing Press, Beer, and Toilets, and another titled Luther's Dirty Laundry, so be on the lookout for those. Thanks for listening, and a special shout-out to Bijou. Thanks for your feedback. If you have any comments or corrections for me, send them along to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.